Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. If you could also Bible to Numbers chapter 11, verse 21, and it says, Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You know, the backstory to this is that, you know, Moses was very overwhelmed with um, the people that he was overseeing. Um, Pimeka told us that historians estimate that there were about three um, million people that Moses was looking after. And just imagine you looking after three million people and you're the only one that can commune with God or can communicate with God. So every dispute is you that's going to solve it. Every issue pertaining to you know discernment is you that's going to solve it. Everybody is coming to you every day with one thing or the other. And Moses was overwhelmed. So God asked him you know, to gather 70 elders that he would take from the spirit that was upon Moses and share to the rest of them, right? So, um. In this, in as this happened, you know, there were two people that were left out from the tent, El, Eldad and Medad, Eldad and Medad. And it happened that, you know, even as God poured out the spirit upon everybody that was present at the gathering, it still fell upon Eldad and Medad where they were. And, you know, Joshua seeing them prophesying, he went to Moses and was like, ah, um, Moses, see what's happening, you know, that these guys, they are prophesying and they're not even amongst people that were present at the gathering. And Moses says, oh, how he wished that all God's people were prophets, that all God's people could do what he did, all God's people could, you know, speak the very mind of God and to utter words by the Spirit. This was Moses's desire for all of God's people. And then later in the scriptures, we see Joel prophesying in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, 29. Um, let's go to Joel chapter 2 from verse 28 to 29. And it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit. These two texts that I just read to you now, they are very critical to you know the teaching that we've been going through this entire series they are they, they are this teaching is centered around you know texts like this and also we went through acts 2 and saw you know how on the day of pentecost god had poured out his spirit on all that were present and then they also spoke tongues um in acts 2 verse 1 to 4 let's open our bibles to acts 2 chapter 1 i mean acts 2 verse 1 to 4 sorry and it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And, and there appeared upon them cloven tongues like as of fire, and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with, this, filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the point of this thing is that these days that we're living in are the days that Moses wished for, the days that Joel prophesied about, the days that began with Pentecost. We are living in the time of God's spirit. We're living in the time of the fullness of its expressions. We're living in a time where every single one of us can operate in the gifts of the spirit and not one of us will be and should be left out. Every believer can operate in the gifts of the spirit. And these are the days where those things happen. We know we don't we don't we no longer have to go to 
you know, one person or one prophet or one pastor, you know, in order to hear from God or in order to receive from the spirit of God, we can, we in and of ourselves have the capacity to commune with God's spirit because we have all received the spirit of God. These are the days that we live in. The days where God's spirit has been poured out on all flesh. Notice that I said all, that the scripture said all flesh, all of us, every believer can operate in the gifts of the spirit and I can operate in power of the Holy Ghost. So um, today, every believer can operate in power of the Holy Spirit. And then there's about three to five um, passages that speak about the gifts of the spirit. And as Kimak has explained to us before, these, these, these scriptures, they don't, they don't give you an exhaustive list of all of the gifts of the spirit. Like, okay, it's limited to these few things. He gave, us a, he gave us a definition at, at the um, beginning of this teaching series, and he said that spiritual gifts refers to any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. So there's no limitation to how, to which ability the Holy Spirit can empower or what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing through a believer. There's no, there's no limit, basically. So I'm just going to go through a few of these texts. Are you guys following me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, All right, awesome. So let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 from verse 6 to 9. Romans chapter 12 from verse 6 to 9. All right, Romans 12, Romans 12, 6 to 9 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So in this um scripture we see several uh, several abilities empowered by the spirit we see prophecy we see teaching we see serving exhortation or encouragement leadership mercy and compassion and like i said this is not the limit this is just what was listed the second scripture that we're going to be looking at is first corinthians chapter 12 from verse 8 to 10 first corinthians chapter 12 from verse 8 to 10 so it says, for to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. So in this same scripture, we're seeing another set of abilities. It is by the spirit. We saw words of wisdom, words of knowledge, um, faith, gifts of healing, prophecy, miracles, um, diverse tongues, interpretation of tongues. All of them were given by the same spirit. The same spirit that empowers me to you know, speak with tongues. The same spirit that will empower me to interpret tongues. The same spirit that will empower me to give a word of knowledge. The same spirit that will empower me to give a word of wisdom. All of these were given by the same spirit. All of these are empowered, abilities empowered by the spirit, not an exhaustive list. Like I said, I want you to keep in mind that these scriptures are not, are not telling you this is the limits to which the spirit can, can operate. No, he's just giving you examples of the abilities that the spirit empowers us to do. Um, 
The final scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and from, from verse 28. It says, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And this scripture, they, they added both, you know, the ministry gifts and, you know, gifts by the spirit. So you talk about apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administration, and also tongues. So, like I said, because there's no, there is no limits to how the Holy Spirit can empower you, and there's no, you know, definite way that these gifts are given or, or, or they are expressed. They are all expressed by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. But then, because there's certain gifts that are more popular in the church today, that's why today we will be specifically focusing on tongues. Now, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the tongues gift, right? There's, there's, there's been a question of who, who can speak it or whether it's supposed to be a language or whether it's supposed to be something, something that we can all understand or whether we should even be allowed to pray in tongues unless somebody is there to interpret it, you know, that kind of thing. And you come to a place like this where every day, every hour, every second, we are blasting in tongues up and down. And then you're wondering, okay, so what exactly is this gift and why do we need to use this and why do we do it so often? And the aim of this teaching today is to give you a clear understanding of what the tongues gift is and why it's important to a believer. And as of many other um, schools of thought or as many other you know bodies of knowledge, for you to really understand what you know, you must understand what you what it's not. Like for me to understand what something is, I must know what it is not. So in today's teaching, that's the approach we will be taking. So we're going to first of all start with what tongues is not. All right. All right. So number one, tongues is not exclusive. And I will say it again for emphasis. Tongues is not exclusive. Let's go to Acts chapter two and verse four. Acts chapter two and verse four. And it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Can we say all filled with the Holy Ghost? All filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the spirits gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I don't want you to hold that text. Let's run to Acts chapter 10 from verse 44. Acts chapter 10 from verse 44. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Can you say all them which heard the word? All them which heard the word. All them who heard the word. Awesome. <laughs> and they and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gifts of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify and magnify God. Then answered Peter. Hold that text. Third text I will show you. Acts chapter 19 from verse 6 to 7. Let's all go to Acts chapter 19 from verse 6 to 7. It says, and when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all men were, and all, and all the men were about 12. 
So there's a, there's a very reoccurring idea with these three scriptures, right? There's one word that keeps on repeating itself in each of these scriptures is the word all, meaning that not one person that was present at any of these gatherings where the Holy Ghost was um, given to believers after believing the gospel was left out of the utterance gift. And, you know, we've learned in Bible interpretation that um, one, of, one, of, one of the ways to really understand the scripture is if it's corroborated in plenty other places, right? And I've been able to show you three scriptures here where people gathered, gospel was believed, Holy Ghost was given, and every single person that was present spoke with tongues. So if it was that the gift was exclusive, we would have at least one example in scripture where half of them were left out or only half of them received the gift or only some of them received the gift. But in all of these examples, we see that all people received the gift of tongues. And, you know, Pima has told us before that in um, the Bible days, right, in the days of old, that women weren't really seen, women and children, they weren't really seen as, you know, and reliable witnesses they went to they, they didn't really rate them like that but then for the fact that even when in the upper room when women were present men women old young they were present and all of them received the same utterance gift it goes to show you that it cannot be for only half it cannot be for only some it cannot be for only a little it was all men. It is not secular to a sect, or it's not just for you know charismatic Christians. It's not just for you know a particular group of people. If it was so, the scripture would have said so. No. So if in every example we see where there was utterance, everybody uttered, then you are led to believe that every single person that believes the gospel today receives the Spirit, has the ability to speak with tongues. This is not an assumption. This is not based on you know, experience. This is based on scripture. And if we are supposed to believe doctrine, are we supposed to get doctrine from scripture? If what we're supposed to believe is in scripture, then we believe this today. So it is not an exclusive gift. It is not meant for just you know, the Catholic community, or it's not meant for just you know, secret service Christians. It's meant for everyone. So we all have the ability to speak with tongues. We all have the ability to, to, to utter words by the spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter eight and verse 19. Acts chapter eight and verse 19. 19 says, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, or I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we speak, we've spoken about this text before, and um, Philip had just preached, I mean, Stephen had just preached the gospel, and people had received the Holy Spirit, and then, you know, some of the apostles, Peter and John, I believe, they came and then laid hands on people, and then they exhibited some kind of utterance gift. One of, one of the people that was present was Simon, and what, what I'm trying to, to get you to understand from this text was that Simon was so convinced that every person was supposed to receive you know, the Holy Ghost and was supposed to have some kind of outward utterance that he was, he was willing to pay money to see it, to, or to have that, to have that power, you know, and obviously we know that later and he was rebuked because that's not right. But then 
generally the idea is that he like he saw that he was so sure that he was such a sure banker something that can put money on because everybody that was present everybody that hands were laid on received the holy ghost and also had some kind of outward exhibition of this reception do you get and even just going back to you know the example of acts 2 um remember that this is this is the onset of the church this is this is the beginning of you know the church of christ and if everybody at the onset of the church prayed with tongues, it means that God's original schematic for the church of Jesus Christ is that everybody prays in tongues. So if your church, or if a gathering of believers, or if anyone deviates from this idea, that means you're deviating away from God's original plan. Because the beginning of the church, the, the inception of the church of Christ, every single member spoke with tongues. So if you are now saying that, no, it can't be for me, it can't be for us, it can't be for conservative Christianity. You know, I grew up in a church that we always call ourselves conservative Christians. So it can't just be, it, you can't seclude yourself or else you're deviating from God's original scheme. In God's original plan, in God's original schematic for the church of Christ, every believer spoke with tongues. So it is not an exclusive gift. If you believe in orthodoxy, then you will believe in speaking in tongues. Because Pima has taught us in the past that you know, orthodoxy is following after the early church, following after the ways of the early church. And if the early church spoke with tongues, then we also must speak with tongues. It's not an either or, or a 50-50 or a half and half gift. It is 100%, it is full, it is for all of us. Are we all following me? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma Awesome. So let's go to, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and from verse 11. Luke chapter 11 and from verse 11. It says, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If he then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Imagine a mother depriving her child of food or a father depriving his child of, his child of shelter. As petty as that sounds in our own day and age, how much more your heavenly father? Imagine you believing that somehow, somehow, God has intended that this gift that can edify me, this gift that, has, that, 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 that was put out on everybody in the early church would be deprived of me if I asked him, ask of him. It is more petty to think that God would not give you the spirit or give you, or yes, give you the spirit alongside its gifts, alongside its expressions, than for you that, that, your, that your daddy will not pay your school fees. So understand it today that tongues is for us all. And, you know, a, a, con a normal concern that we see raised when people um, talk about tongues is the issue of, oh, okay, but what if I'm faking it? Or what if, you know, there's fake tongues or the devil is giving them, or somehow, somehow, the devil has taken over the tongues and is now talking demonic things. First of all, there's no example in scripture to back up that claim. That's number one. Like, that concern is not scriptural. It's, it's plainly, it's made up. Because there was no place in the Bible where, you know, somebody faked tongues. 
We've seen false prophets. We've seen false prophecies. We've seen you know, false miracles. We've not seen fake tongues. There's no example in scripture that accounts for that concern whatsoever. And also, understand this, yeah? If you believe the word of God today, if you hear the gospel and you believe this and you receive it with your heart, the Holy Ghost comes to live inside of you, right? Meaning that what would have otherwise been gibberish, what would have otherwise been nonsensical babblings, the Holy Spirit on your inside would hijack and turn it into an intimate language between you and your father. Meaning that once you're saved, if you open your mouth in faith to utter words empowered by the spirit that you know that you have, you will never get it wrong. I'll say that again. Once you have received the gospel message, you have believed the gospel message, you have received the promised spirit of God, once you open your mouth in faith to utter words empowered by this spirit that you believe you have, you cannot get it wrong. He hijacks what in your ear sounds like nonsense and turns it into a language, an intimate language between you and your father. So the case of false tongues for a believer does not exist because first of all, scripture does not back it up. And second of all, the Spirit empowers you to receive an utterance it given by the Spirit. Whatever you utter in faith, empowered by the Spirit of God, you, you will not get it wrong. You don't, you don't utter amiss. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. All right, beautiful. So, remember we're talking about what tongues is not, right? So, first of all, we said tongues is not what? Tongues is not exclusive. Secondly, Tongues is not understood by men. Now, we've learned time and time again that in Bible interpretation, you must go from the known to the unknown, right? So let's first of all start from what we know. In previous teachings, P. Mike has taken us through, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through 14. Um, spoke about how the, the purpose of First Corinthians was to be a corrective scripture. Paul was trying to correct the excesses that, excesses that he saw in the church in Corinth. In chapter one, he was addressing division between the church. Some people stood for uh, um, Apollos, some people stood for Paul, and he was trying to correct that division, but that wasn't supposed to exist. In chapter two, he continues to correct, and he spoke to them about um, how, how he came to them without extensive story, he came to them with the gospel message, right? Chapter three and four, he continues to address um, division and also spoke about his own fatherhood over them as his spiritual father. He's the one that birthed them in the spirit. So he spoke about that in chapter four, three and four. Chapter five, he began to address fornication. And there was a story of a man that was openly and unapologetically having an affair with his father's wife and was puffed up about, like he wasn't apologetic about it. He wasn't trying to hide it. It wasn't that he was struggling with, he was open and open and about, about this, his, um, about the fornication. So he was trying to address that and told them that he should deliver him onto Satan. And then in chapter six, he addresses how they settle disputes, that they shouldn't have to go to court with one another. That's if they, if they are supposed to 
you know, be the one that would judge, if believers are supposed to be the ones that would judge the world, then how would then, uh, then they allow unbelievers to now judge their matters? Paul was trying to correct that. In chapter 7, he advises them against fornication and how, um, and if, if they cannot fool themselves, then they should marry against fornication still. In chapter 8, he addresses food offers, offered to idols. And then in chapter 12, he then comes to spiritual gifts. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. All right. It says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant. Concerning spiritual gifts, I would not want you to be ignorant. So he began by telling them that, yes, you should know about doctrine. Yes, you should know about power. You should know about all of these things. But also concerning spiritual gifts, you should not be ignorant. Right? And in chapter 12, he, chapter 13, sorry, he corrects their mindset about the motive behind the spiritual gifts. At the end of chapter 12, he says, um, but NSC desired the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Then in chapter 13, he goes on to talk about love. And when P. Mike was teaching this, was he made us understand that the best gift is not a particular gift, but any gift that is centered around love. The gifts in and of themselves, they were not given to us for us to just have, or for us to just them to just be with us, but they were given for the ministry of the church. They were given for it to benefit the next person. So gifts that would flow from a place, gifts that would flow fluidly, that would flow freely, would flow from a place of love. That's why in verse in chapter 13, he can say things like, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I can I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So yes, as great as tongues is, if love is not the motive, yes, as great as, great as healing is, if love is not the motive, as great as prophecy is, if love is not the motive, then it is nothing. Because the best gift is the gifts done from a place of love. That's why in the definition of spiritual gifts, it says any, any ability empowered by the spirit and given for the ministry of the church to minister unto the church. It's not just for us to have and hold. It's not just for us to remain as an office. It is us to use to benefit the church. And then in chapter 14, he does a teaching on how to approach the gifts in the church today. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. It says, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. How be it in the spirit he speaketh mysteries? Understand, I'm still talking about what tongues is not. And in this point, I'm saying that tongues is not understood by men. And Paul has come here to say that when you speak, it's literally called unknown tongues. It's not supposed to be known by you. When you speak in an unknown tongue, you're not speaking to men, but you're speaking unto God because no one, no man understands him. Meaning that if you speak with quote unquote tongues and somebody understands you, then it is not tongues. It is just another language. Let's go to um, chapter four of, I mean, verse four of this same chapter. 
1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 4. He says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now you might wonder why he who prophesies edifies the church. It's not because prophecy is better than tongues, but it's because in the church gathering, prophecy is done in a language that people can understand. But if you speak with tongues, you are edifying just yourself. But if you intend to edify the church, if you intend to edify the next person, then I cannot speak to them with tongues because they would not be able to understand me, right? So tongues is not another language. It's not another human language that can be understood by men. It's literally called mysteries, an unknown tongue, something that you are not supposed to be able to translate. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. All right, let's go to verse five and, four, and verse six of this same First Corinthians 14. It says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesied is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Now, remember, Paul is not outwardly saying that the tongues gift in and of itself is a lesser gift than prophecy. Remember, the, 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 the point of 1 Corinthians 14 is for it to be a corrective scripture. He was correcting the excesses he saw in the church in Corinth. So in the church at Corinth, they were very expressive with um, um, utterance. Um, let's go to First Corinthians chapter, First Corinthians chapter one. Let's open our Bibles very quickly to First Corinthians chapter one and verse four. Ooh, shot the here. It says, "I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him, in all utterance and all knowledge." even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the testimony of the church in Corinth. They were very, that they abounded in spiritual gifts. They said that they come short in no gift. They were enriched in all knowledge and utterance. So they were very fluid with the utterance gift. They used to speak in tongues a lot. But then Paul saw an excess in that they were not using the tongues in the way it was intended. You cannot, he was trying to correct the fact that you cannot speak in tongues in order to edify the church because nobody would understand you. So that's why he's saying that for the sake of the church gathering, for the sake of the edification of the church, then you should prophesy. Not that prophecy in and of itself is better than tongues, but when it is intended to edify the church, then you should speak prophecy not tongues he started with saying that no man will understand you so if you if i come here and i just come rattle shake it as in will you hear will you, will you hear what i'm saying unless i tell you what i'm saying of course not unless unless somebody else comes and interprets what i'm saying no you wouldn't you would benefit nothing if you come to the church gathering in order to to address the church and you speak with just tongues so that's why it says you know, he rather, he, that's why he said that he rather you prophesy, not because prophecy in and of itself is better than tongues, but because for you to edify the church, you need to speak in a language that they would understand. Hence, 
speak prophecy and not tongues. All right. Okay. So let's move on to verse verse seven of this same chapter. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongues words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are, it may be so many kinds of languages in the world and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So Apostle Paul is teaching with an analogy about, you know, trumpets and pipes and you know, you know normally it's not i don't think it's even just in like scripture days i think it's also in my village my grandma my grandpa told me about a time where you know somebody would come and then there's this very um curly horn like the horn of a ram i think or the animal that the horn is macaroni looking and then they would come and there's a specific sound that they would blow from that one that you would know that okay the enemy is coming or somebody's about to enter into the village but then if the man goes to that place and now blows anything, that any sound, any scattered noise comes out, would they be made aware that somebody is coming? Of course not. The same way Paul says that um, even things without life, whether flutes or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? So he's, he's putting alongside, he's putting, he's paralleling speaking with tongues and making an indistinct sound and then speaking with the understanding and making a distinct sound so when you make a distinct sound there's understanding but then if you're making a, a, a not a not distinct sound then people will not understand you said so that you that if you speak in a language that you don't like he doesn't understand that he's a foreigner to you and you are a foreigner to him so tongues is not a language in another human language it's not you know a lot of people think that tongues is something where you know god wants to send me to china to preach to the Chinese. And then me now, I don't know Chinese. So I'm asking, okay, God, how is it going to be now? How am I going to preach them? I don't know how to speak Mandarin. And then I get to China and God somehow supernaturally gives me the ability to speak Mandarin. And then I can now communicate the gospel message to them in China. Now this is not to say that it's not possible. I'm not saying it's not something that's possible. I'm just saying it's not tongues because if I speak it and somebody else understands it without any supernatural means of interpretation, then it is not tongues. All of the scriptures that we've read up until now, Paul has made it clear to us that no man is supposed to understand you when you speak in tongues. He literally calls this, he has said mysteries. He said unknown tongue. There's no, it's not more obvious than this. When he said the tongue is unknown, that's you. Now you don't know it. Me, I don't know it either. So no man is supposed to understand you. It's not another human language. It is utterance by the spirit. So tongues is not understood by men. All right, so we're going to the next one. Tongues is not just ecstatic. What I mean is tongues is not just something that comes and goes without your control. It's not something that is erratic in its nature. It's not, it's not haphazard. It's not something that can just happen whenever like you don't expect and it now stops when you don't expect it. It's not just an ecstatic. Now it can happen spontaneously. Like you see, you know, with Cornelius, but it's also something that can be regulated. 
the fact that there's an entire chapter of first corinthians that is dedicated to you regulating the way you use the tongues gift means that there is some sort of control that we have over it i can decide now to start praying in tongues and i can decide to also stop um let's go to first corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15. first corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15 it says what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. In verse 18 of this same chapter, it says, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So these two scriptures that I've read to you now, let us know that if I wanted to speak to myself and God, then I can do that. It's not an instruction that can just, if, if it wasn't possible, then Paul wouldn't have given the instruction. If it was something that was, that was possible for you to do, for, for you to control, then Paul wouldn't give us a whole chapter regulating how to use tongues. He said that he can pray in the spirit and pray in the understanding. He will sing with the spirit and he will also sing with the understanding. It's something that you can decide to do. Something that you can, you can control. You can decide now to begin to sing in the spirit, to begin to sing in tongues, to begin to pray in the spirit. And you can also decide you want to pray in the understanding. So tongues is not an, it's not just an erratic, you know, haphazard um, term gift. Paul wouldn't be asking them to, to have order in the church if he knew that it was something that could just come and go when it's when it when it liked. It is something that we can modulate, we can regulate the way we use tongues. And we see it even in Acts chapter 2. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. Acts chapter 2 verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. This same Peter was amongst the people in the upper room that were speaking with tongues. So that means Peter could decide to stop praying with tongues and begin to teach the congregation to address the, the masses. So hence, the tongues gift is something that you can control, you can modulate. It's not an erratic gift. It's something that can be modulated. And teaching like, and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm even repeating this thing is because teaching like that are not, are not just for you to know, but because, you know, this, your knowledge of tongues is going to be challenged in the future. Something that you're going to be, you're going to need to be able to defend. You're going to need to be able to know what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it. Especially for us in Bangkok or just anybody that's in an environment where you know the tongues gift is not necessarily allowed in its free flow. You're going to need to be able to defend why you do what you do and what it is. So teaching like this must be taken seriously, not just for ourselves, but also for people that we would encounter. We need to be able to, you know, put people through the fact that tongues is not, you know, another language. It's not supposed to be understood. It's not, it's not ecstatic, just ecstatic in and of itself. All right? Awesome. So let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. So 
they are paralleling being filled with the spirit and also getting drunk. So the same way you can decide to go to a to a, a, a beer parlor or to where alcohol is in excess. And you can decide to continue to drink until you are drunk. The same way it's an active process, not something that you that just happens where you just see a bottle and then all of a sudden you're drunk. Of course not. It's something that is that you're doing willingly, something that you're doing by yourself. It's the same way you can also then be filled with the spirit. So being filled with the spirit and knowing that we can fill ourselves up by the spirit in the spirit by speaking in tongues. Being, being, that's being synonymous with getting drunk connotes that there is some level of control that we have over how we are filled and how to do that and how to fill ourselves and that is by speaking in tongues. All right, so moving on from there, the tongues gift is also not an evangelical strategy. I'll say it again. The tongues gift is not an evangelical strategy. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and run from verse 23 to 24. It says, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and they, and they come in those that are, un, that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy and they come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. Um, I want to read this in a different um, translation. I want to read it to you in NLT. All right, the NLT translation says, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hearing everybody speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are, you are crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. So if it was a strategy for evangelism, Paul wouldn't have said that, okay, if an unbeliever comes in, he would think that's what crazy. And why is he saying this? It's because from the earlier mentioned point, tongues cannot be understood by men. In order for it to benefit an unbeliever, you need to first of all interpret what you're saying. There needs to be some kind of understanding between me and the person that I'm preaching the gospel to. I can't preach, I can't preach to you the gospel in tongues because it's not a human language. It's not a language that was given for men to understand. It is not something that we can use for evangelism. It's not another, it's not, an, it's not, it's not, it's not the ability to speak the language of a foreigner because even Paul said it himself, that if um, I speak to you in a language that I don't understand, I am a foreigner to you and you a foreigner to me. So we cannot use tongues to evangelize. It is, not a, a, it is not a means of communication to unbelievers. We don't speak in tongues to preach, preach the gospel to people. It is an unknown language. It is the, it's, it's an utterance gift. It's given by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. It is not for evangelism. So now, We've started from what we know. Now we know what tongues is not. And because we know this, because we have this understanding, we can now reconsider what actually happened in Acts 2. Because there's a lot of controversy concern um, surrounding you know, the experience in Acts 2 and what Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 14. But with this knowledge of what we know now, 
we can reconsider the events of Acts chapter 2. And I want you to understand one thing, that between these two texts, between Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, one is a record of an experience. It is a record of people's witnesses. What people witnessed, what, what, what people saw and what people heard. The other being 1 Corinthians 14 is authoritative correction or instructive correction from doctrine. It is doctrinal correction. So one is an experience, something that was recorded from people's, what people saw. And one is instruction, one is correction. And another thing we must know is that the word of God isn't just what is written in the Bible. The word of God is what is written in the Bible, rightly divided. It is what is written in the Bible, correctly explained. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In NLT, it says, correctly explaining. Meaning that the word of God, the word of truth needs to be explained. It needs to be rightly divided. It needs to be interpreted properly. That's why the devil can come and try and tempt Jesus with words from scripture. You could have, you could have said, okay, that's what God said. Let me, let, me, let me just do it. But then what was Christ's response? Jesus Christ said, it is also written. Meaning that the idea is not complete until you consider not just what is written, but what is also written concerning a particular subject matter. You must consider all of the scriptures that have to do with this subject matter before you can form a complete idea. Because what is written is also written somewhere else. They must, cor they must corroborate each other. The word of God does not contradict itself. Rather, it forms a, complete, it forms a whole, it's holistic. So what was mentioned in one scripture and in another scripture, most corroborates, must, must be together, must be whole. Do we understand? So we must consider what was in First Corinthians 14 and also in Acts and all of the places where people spoke with tongues and come to a whole, a holistic idea. We can't just take the events of Acts alone and judge everything pertaining to um, tongues. All right. So let's go from Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Let's all open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and from verse 1 to 13. It's a long read, but I need you to follow me very closely. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling as Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, 
in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers from Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, Arabians. We do hear, we do hear them speak in our tongue, the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. So I want us to ask ourselves a few questions from this scripture that we just read. Is it humanly possible, just in human means, speaking as a human, is it humanly possible for 120 people to be packed in a room an elevated space, someone that's not even on the same playing field as you, an upper room. They are all, let's assume that they were even all speaking in English. And remember, they were assumed to be drunk. So they must have been, you know, very, their movement, they must have looked very silly, most of them very, look very incoherent, right? So all of them are speaking very fervently, so much so that you can hear them from where they are. Can you point out? what one person is saying. In fact, let's, let's, let's even use an, an analogy. Let's assume that all of us were in a classroom. Remember how, like me at least in my own primary school, like when we all come to school in the morning, like we all used to make noise, we all used to play and jump around and talk before the teacher came, right? If you stood outside that classroom, you're not even on an elite, like there's, you're on the same playing field. If you stood outside, would you be able to decipher what one person in a room of 120 people are saying, anybody can respond. And it's okay to say yes if you feel like it's No. Not really, ma. No. Not exactly. Anybody else? My class was not even up to 40 people. And yet, if you stand outside, you can't hear anybody. You can't hear at least what one person is saying distinctly. Exactly that. Exactly that. You know, I knew people that went to school. In fact, there was a time that my primary school had gone to, um, it was called VI primary school or something. And like in those kind of schools, there were like 400 in the whole of the set and all of them inside one classroom. So imagine them being there, all of them talking, all of them jumping. It's even in English, this is not different language, it's just in English. Me walking into that classroom, can I hear what one person is saying? Of course not. Humanly speaking, it is impossible. You cannot decipher, even if you are all in the same room and all of us just divided ourselves. You guys stand on the left, you guys stand on the right. And this side of the room starts, starts speaking in English. Everybody is shouting, praying, jumping. You will not be able to hear what one person is saying. All right, next question. What is so fascinating about somebody else speaking your own language that it would gather up to 5,000 people? I have a teacher. His name is Dr. Eliko. I really like him a lot. And he is, um, he is evil. But because he has lived in um, the West a lot, he speaks Yoruba. And for the life of me, I can't imagine him getting up and speaking Yoruba and all of a sudden, you know, everybody in the whole of Bangkok is gathering to watch an evil man. What a wonder. An evil man is speaking Yoruba. That is to gather the whole of Bangkok for us to watch him just to speak Yoruba. Even if he can speak eight languages. It wouldn't gather that much a crowd just because he's speaking a different language. It's not a, it's not a circus, it's not a freak show. It's just, if it was just people speaking other languages, why then 
did five, what was so fascinating? Remember, languages had, had different languages had existed since Babel. So it wasn't like as if they were new to the idea. Why did 5,000 people gather to watch men speak a different language? It had to be more than just people speaking a different language. It couldn't have just been like, okay, I started to speak your about today and all of you come and be watching me. It doesn't work that way. It had to, there had to be more to the story than that. My third question to you is, if it indeed was them just speaking a different language, then why did some people assume them to be drunk? If all of us, even if, let's even say that God sent you to China and he wants me to preach the gospel to speak the goodness of God to the Chinese people. And then I cannot even speak Mandarin. I go to a church and I'm speaking Mandarin by the spirit, which is very possible, which I covet earnestly. <laughs> which I covered NSE and I'm speaking Mandarin and I'm preaching gospel. What about me would seem drunk? What about me would seem intoxicated? Would it, would it, would it um, require somebody to assume that I was drunk? Why would assuming I was drunk even correlate with me speaking a different language? Can you drink today? There's nothing, there's no amount of alcohol you can drink that the alcohol would teach you Chinese. It will not. I think mean, we can even do tests today. All of us, okay, no, 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 let's not do that. Uh, it's not really becoming of a believer. But um, if we decided all of us here to get drunk, how many of us here can now automatically now speak Igbo or Yoruba or Hausa or a foreign language just because we're drunk? It's not synonymous with being filled. You speaking a different language is not synonymous with just being filled with the spirit. And I'll show you how. So people thought that they were drunk, right? And like I've said, there's nothing about being drunk that sort of connotes that you're speaking a different language. There's nothing about speaking a different language that, that makes you look like you're drunk. If there had to be more to the story than them just speaking a different language. It couldn't have been just that. A whole Pentecost, it couldn't have been just that. Let's go to First Corinthians. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go there. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 18, and it says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I say it again, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the second answer that we're seeing, that people are filled with the Spirit, and it's, it is somehow paralleled with being drunk. It's because being drunk is more synonymous with being filled than speaking a different language. Being drunk with wine is, not, is more synonymous with being filled than speaking a different language. Even when Peter gave his defense, he didn't start by you know, um, addressing the fact that people thought they were speaking a different language. He addressed only the drunkenness because like I said, being drunk is more synonymous with being filled with the Spirit than speaking a different language. He addressed only that one because that's, that's a more likely assumption than them thinking that they just spoke in a different language. That's a more likely assumption of what happened than them speaking a different language. Do we, do, we, do we understand that it couldn't have been just speaking a different language? All of the, the entire scene of Pentecost couldn't have been just that people come and watch me speak something else. Why would they be called drunk if it was just that? And we've seen even from first, um, Ephesians 5 that Another place in scripture, being filled with the spirit was proud of being drunk. And what are the um, 
characteristics of a drunk person, somebody that has, you know, that's staggering or somebody that is walking in a happy, in a disorganized manner, somebody that has slurred or incoherent speech. Mean that if they thought that they were drunk, nothing that they were speaking there was coherent or fluent. Do you understand? If a normal person yeah. is drunk now, when they are talking even just English, they don't used to sound, their, their words are not coherent, their words are slurred. For them to have thought that the people in Pentecost were drunk means that they saw the same thing in them. They were not speaking, whatever they were speaking was not fluent, was not coherent. Do we understand? And this is a more, this idea of tongues is, it lines up more with first, the first Corinthians 14 explanation than people speaking a different language. It sounds a lot more like what was happening in first Corinthians 14. So a more, um, a more you know, informed um, assumption will be that they were speak at Pentecost, they were speaking in tongues, the first Corinthians 14 way, where no man understood. And by some supernatural intervention, the people that heard them were able to hear a different language. Because there's no, there's no indication that what they were speaking was just a different language. Because we've seen as we ask ourselves these different questions, that humanly speaking, it is impossible for you to assume that it was just them speaking a different language. And remember, the um, book of Acts was written by Luke. And it was a journalistic account. He was taking account of what people witnessed, of witnesses, right? So some people told, when Luke went to ask them, he said, okay, we heard them speaking in our language. Another group said, no, 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 these ones, they are drunk. So like I said before, we started ex this explanation. One was an account of an experience and the other was a doctrinal instruction or doctrinal correction, right? So we are led to believe more so that at Pentecost, they were speaking in an incoherent, not fluent language, not a language that any man can discern from the size and the height that they were standing at. And by some supernatural intervention, by a miracle, the people were able to hear their language. That is a more probable assumption than, okay, we are assuming that tongues has to be a language just because in Pentecost they said that they heard them speaking their language. It couldn't have just been that. When you, when you look at the facts, it can't just be that. So now that we have reconsidered Acts 2, we can now better defend what tongues actually is. It is an utterance gift by the Spirit of God that is not understood by men an intimate language between yourself and your father. No man can understand it. No one except from God can decipher what you're saying. Else by you know, the gift of interpretation, where by the same spirit you can interpret what the tongues is saying and not translate word for word. Not that, okay, there's an alphabet that, okay, A in tongues is ka and B in tongues is ra. Mbanu. There is no translation for the tongues. You are interpreting what is being said by the Spirit of God, by the same power, give you the of the tongues. 
Do we all understand me thus far? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. So now we're going to go into why tongues is important. So now we know what tongues is, and we know that it's for everybody, and we know that it's not a human language, and we know that it is empowerment by the Spirit. Why should we then do it? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual abuse, brethren, I would not have you be ignorant. Meaning that it is instruction for us to know about tongues, to be able to, 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 be, to be knowledgeable about what tongues is, right? And Pimaif has explained to us in the past that when he says being ignorant, it didn't mean just being ignorant. It also meant to ignore it. That's to know what it is, to understand why it's helpful, and then still decide, willfully disinclinate yourself from spiritual gifts. And Paul has instructed us that it is wrong, that we are not to do that. We are not to deliberately remove ourselves or deviate ourselves from spiritual gifts. We are not supposed to be ignorant of it. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 16 and verse 15 to 18. I read it very quickly because of time. He says, and he says unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not curse them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This was not talking about, you know, believers that have been, that have been in the faith for a hundred years. New converts, he said, would be able to exhibit these things by the spirit. And one of those things is tongues. Meaning that once you believe the gospel, once you have received the spirit of God, Tongues is your, your right, is your inheritance. It is a provision by the same spirit that you believe that you have. So the first reason why tongues is important is first of all, because it's an instruction that we're not supposed to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. And if tongues is a spiritual gift, then I will not be ignorant about it. The second thing is God made it available for us. It's our provision in salvation to be able to speak with tongues. Who are we to say that what God gave us is useless to us or what he gave me now, I will discard it. He will not give you a gift that he knows is unnecessary. There's nothing that God can give you that, he, that is not for a purpose, right? The same way my uncle cannot give something that say, no, I, I don't want it and it's, and it's to be rude. How much more God that he has given you a gift and you have discarded it it was something that was made that was made available for us. Will it bless you? Yes. Will it edify you? Yes. Is it good for you? Yes. Then why not tongues? Why wouldn't you want to express this gift? And as we read in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that we should desire spiritual gifts. At the end of chapter 12, it says, earnestly, covet earnestly the best gifts. This is not just a passive wanting of the gifts. You are instructed to, to, to actively desire it to actively want it to see ourselves walk in it so if this is what the bible instructs us and this is what we should live the third reason why tongues why tongues is important is it is proof that jesus is glorified the greatest proof of the resurrection of christ is not just that the growth that, that that the tomb is empty but also the efficacy of the work of Christ in the hearts and lives of a believer. The effectiveness of God's work in your heart or in your life is a pointer to his, to his glorification, to the fact that he has risen. 
Um, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 32 to 33. Acts chapter 2 and from verse 32 to 33. And it says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shared forth this which you now see and hear. This is Peter's defense to the crowd. He says that as they were speaking in tongues, as they were all having utterance by the Spirit, it was a testament to the fact that God has been, that Christ has been exalted to the right hand of God, has received the promise of the Spirit and has shed it out on all of us. Meaning that when you utter in tongues, you are, a, you are, you are testifying to the risen Christ, the fact that Christ has been risen, he's glorified, he's seated at the right hand of God. It is evident when you speak with tongues. In fact, every other gift was possible before Christ died. People were healed before Christ died. People were raised from the dead before Christ died. In fact, they parted seas before Christ died. As in power gifts, they were prophecy. They all existed before Christ died. But the one gift that is evident after the glorification of Christ is tongues. No one spoke in tongues before Christ was glorified. I mean, that is only after Christ had died and risen that they were able to express this gift of tongues. So when you pray in tongues, you are a testament to the finished work of Jesus Christ, that his work indeed was effective in you because you can now utter words by the spirit that you have received. When he died, he rose, he poured out his spirit on us all and now we can express it in tongues. So you are, you, you are, you're, you're oh, it's such a beautiful thing because you are literally a living witness that Jesus Christ has died. When I utter in tongues, I am testifying that he has died and risen. That's wrong because of time. Let's go on to the next one. Tongues is the testimony of your salvation. Tongues is the testimony of your salvation. Now, it's not the only pointer to the fact that you're saved. No, it's, not, it's not the only marker of a saved person, but it is one of the markers of your salvation. In Acts chapter 10, in Cornelius' house, when um, God had sent Peter to go and preach the gospel to Cornelius, let's go to Cornelius and his house. Let's go to Acts chapter 10 and verse 44 to 45. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, like I said, all, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the Jews, the people that came with Peter, the, 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 the Jews. When they saw the Gentiles speaking with tongues in the same manner that they did at Pentecost, it confirmed that, that indeed these people are saved, that indeed salvation has come for the Gentiles. It was when he saw them manifest this person the same way they did at Pentecost that it was confirmed that they affirmed that, okay, yes, salvation indeed has come for the Gentiles. And even in chapter 11, when Peter was defending why he went there, in from verse 15, 11, Acts 11 from verse 15, it says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I, what was I that I could withstand God? 
when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. The Holy Ghost fell on them as on this. When he said the Holy Ghost fell on us, on them as on us in the beginning, he meant the way that it was authentic, it was for them as well. The same way they uttered in unknown tongues, they in, in at Pentecost, they uttered in unknown tongues in Corinthians' house. And these were Gentiles. This was how then they were able to discern or decipher that indeed these ones are saved. All right. And like I said, I'll, I'll, when I was preparing for this teaching today, one of one of the things that God had told me was the one of one of the reasons why people don't speak in tongues, coupled with the fact that they don't understand it, was also because they are afraid that they don't know what they are saying. Like P. Mike has told us time and time again that it is when you don't know what you're saying that you're getting it right. It's when you sound silly, it's when you look silly that you're getting it right. At Pentecost, they were they were paralleled with drunk people. You're not supposed to look okay. <laughs> if you're speaking with tongues and you sound somehow in your ears, you look somehow in your eyes, then you are getting it right. That is what. God intended for the for, from the onset of the church that all of us would be able to utter words by the Spirit. It was God's original scheme, his original plan for the church of Christ that we all would be able to speak with tongues. It is not, you know, it's an exclusive gift. It's not something that you must cajole yourself to do. Remember, the Spirit that is inside of you is the same Spirit that was on the people of old. And same way, they didn't have to beg God. Sometimes they didn't have to beg God before he carried the gates of, um, um, of the city on, on his shoulders. He just did it by the power of the Spirit. It's the same way you can just open your mouth in faith and utter words by the Spirit. Don't you understand? It's an intimate language. Only you and your father are communicating at the point where you're praying in tongues. No man can understand. Why would you leave yourself out of this gift because of fear or because of, of whatever. It is my provision in Christ. Say it's my provision in Christ. It's my, it's my provision in Christ. And because we know that God gives us anything that we do not need, we know that this, that this gift is, is necessary for us. The Bible says that he that prays an unknown tongue edifies himself. Tongues is the best way for you to cure an off day. A day where you feel like you're not you're far away from God. Begin to pray in the spirit. I promise you, five minutes, 15 minutes, you that, that feeling would, would disappear. It is not, you cannot leave yourself out of this gift. You cannot, you cannot decide on your own to ignore it because it is your provision. He said that, that, that building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the language of the spirit, we know what it means to build ourselves up. We know what you know. We know we've, we've, we've been taught in the past that the word edify is okodomio. That is to lay brick upon brick till you rise up like an edifice. You can continue to pray in tongues. It is not a demonic language. It is not you know exclusive. It's not something that you must beg the Holy Spirit to do. That you just come and overtake you and you will now go. No, the same way you can fill yourself up in wine. You can fill yourself up in the spirit by praying in tongues. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to, to think is not for you. It is for everyone. If anything, scriptures has showed us that it's for anyone. And if you believe what the Bible says, then you will believe that tongues is for you. And I want you right now 
if you believe what the Bible says, if you believe that the Holy Spirit indeed was poured out on all of us to unmute your mics, to rise on your feet and begin to blast in the language of the Spirit, like you know that 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 you